0: Listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Today, I was reading and praying this morning, and um as I was reading, something hit me uh, in the scripture. Good morning, Brother Joel. Something hit me this morning as I was reading the Word and praying, and I wanted to share with you what the Apostle Peter uh, listed in his inspired, a uh, second letter to, the, to a, the churches in Asia Minor, and he listed these eight qualities. Um, In scripture that you can see that he said, if you will make these a part of your life, then you will uh, supernaturally increase in effectiveness and fruitfulness, which is obviously uh, our desire as Christians. We want to be effective and fruitful. Uh, The Bible says that God is actually looking for fruitfulness from his people. He's constantly watching. You know, Jesus referred to the father in John chapter 15 as uh, the vine dresser. And he said, I am the vine, you're the branches. And my father is the vine dresser. And he's constantly watching to see who is producing fruit and who's not producing fruit. And he said, uh, if he sees that there are people who are producing fruit, he prunes them so that they'll produce even more fruit. But then if he sees other branches, That are not producing fruit, which by the way, that means it is their choice and it's by their own design, whether or not they're producing fruit. He said, if he sees branches that refuse to produce, he cuts them off and throws them into a pile to be burned. So God, that means God is constantly watching his people to see if they've been faithful to continue to produce fruit. And that's huge. So we're going to cover those eight things today that Peter said by the Holy Spirit that if you'll keep these eight things uh, at work in your life, you'll always be effective and you'll always be fruitful. Now look at that in the comments. Just total division from the same family. You know, Britt, who is Zach's sister, Brit says, "Hey, buddy, looking sharp today." Now she appreciates the substitute teacher outfit. Whereas Zach Wilson, her brother, uh, is very snarky in his approach to the substitute teacher sweater. Uh, so you can just see division in the family. And Paul said, are there not divisions among you? And of course, we can see that there are. So just keep their family lifted up in prayer today. Amen. Second, Second Peter chapter 1. And again, I'm Mr. Shuttlesworth. My name is on the board. 2 um, Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read here what Peter wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we want to break these eight things down. Uh, And I'm going to kind of, what I want to do actually, is I want to read through the passage that we're going to read together, and then I'll go back through and break it down, because I want you to hear the whole passage as one, um, not stopping, you know, and and everything. I, I want us to hear the whole flow of the context, and then we'll go back and break it down. So, um, I want to read to you 2 Peter chapter 1 and we'll go from verse 3 and we'll go down to um, verse 11. First or excuse me 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. And if you're putting um, if you're putting that uh, in the comments for people that are watching later that's the reference. That's our that's our basis today. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. So let me, let me read this to you and then we'll break it down. Um, Peter wrote, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's powerful. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5. For this very reason. Now get this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And your virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, look at that, Not that they're just yours, but they're also increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you notice something else about this passage that's really interesting? Did you notice that Peter is making the case right in the first chapter of his second letter that there are things you can do. Now, he's writing to Christians. Remember that. Uh, Peter is writing to uh, the churches that are in Asia Minor. So you start to realize he's writing to Christians here. And, And he says that in the very beginning of his letter. I'm writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. You see that? He said, I'm writing to people who have obtained a faith that is of equal standing with ours. So he's not writing to sinners. This is not about sinners. This is about Christians. And did you notice that as he's writing to these Christians, he's making the case in this first chapter that there are things you can do to either confirm your calling and election and have an entrance into heaven, or, according to him, if you don't do these things, the Bible says that if you, if you do them, you can practice these qualities and never fall away. But, if you don't do them, then you can fall away. And you won't have richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice this, there are things that you and I can do and should do to confirm our calling and election, which, which Christ uh, has brought us into the kingdom by grace through faith. But once we get saved, notice this, there are things we need to be doing. That's why James wrote, faith without works is dead being alone. So let's break these down. So these eight things that we're gonna see from this, this passage, these eight things he said not just need to be in your life, they need to be increasing in your life. So you don't just need to have these qualities, you need to actively work. I need to actively work to see them going from level to level to level to level every single week, every month, every year of our lives. These qualities should go to the next level. So let's hit them. Going back to verse five, he said, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So the first, the first one is faith. The first quality that Peter lists is faith. And so faith has to be a not just a part of your life, but notice that he's saying this needs to continually increase in your life. So that means that God is looking for his people to continually go higher and higher and higher in their faith. Well, how do you do that? Well, the Bible is very clear that uh, as you hear the word of God preached and taught, your faith is built. And Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Same thing with Christ. As he taught. And as he preached, faith was built in the hearts of men and women. Same with Paul. In fact, if you've read the scripture where he's preaching, and the Bible says there's a a man in the crowd who needs a miracle. As Paul is preaching and teaching, the Bible says, and he perceived that the man had faith to be healed. Well, where did that faith come from? Paul's preaching and teaching. It came from Paul's preaching and teaching faith comes by hearing God's word preached and taught. It can come by even hearing God's word as you read it. You know, you can read the word of God yourself and build faith in your life by yourself. You don't necessarily always have to be listening to something. You don't have to always be, uh, you know, encountering preaching and teaching literally just by reading God's word, you know, and as I'm hearing it, even as I'm hearing it in my mind by my the inner voice that you hear as you're reading a book. I'm having my faith built as I read the word of God. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you just one of the, the practices, not that this is something you have to do, but, you know, so, something happens. Uh, they, they've proven when you listen, when you hear something and read it, when you hear something and read it. So a lot of times what I'll do is I will, I'll put the uh, the narration on the app on, from the translation that I'm reading, and I'll listen to it while I'm reading it. And then it gives you, you got the two sensory uh, things there that that are helping you to retain what you're taking in. You're hearing it and you're reading it. And I do that often. And so it comes by hearing the word of God and it comes by reading the word of God. So your faith should not stay at the same level. Don't allow your faith to get stagnant. Don't allow your faith to remain without moving or using or building. Because remember, as I cover all of these, and some of you are gonna be like, man, really? You know, because what would that look like practically if every year my faith went to another level? Well, what would, what would it look like practically? I mean, how would, your, how would your life change if your faith was increasing? Wouldn't you step out more? Wouldn't you do more? Because again, let me go back to James' teaching. Faith without works is dead. So that means if my faith is increasing, that my works for Christ are actually going to another level, right? If my faith is increasing, my works are increasing. My dedication, my faithfulness, all the stuff I'm doing for the kingdom, that's all increasing as my faith is increasing. So I want you to to see this with me now. Um, Not just faith, but he said, number two, supplement your faith with virtue. Now, an interesting thing here is that virtue here means moral virtue or moral excellence. If you study it, it means moral virtue or moral excellence, uh, which you can see if you look in the uh, footnotes of your study Bible or if you look into a Greek text or whatever, moral excellence, moral virtue. So what does that mean? It means that I'm not just... uh, living by faith i am always going to push hard to take that moral high ground that i'm not going to conform to this world and the system of this world but i'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind and by the way if you're just logging on take a minute to share the broadcast today uh, as you're coming on facebook twitter youtube whatever notice the moral high ground I'm going to make sure that I have moral excellence. Things are going to another level, meaning that every year, every week, every month, we're working to ensure that there is excellence or moral virtue at work in my life. And that's, that's, that's literally something that's speaking of uh, maturity as a Christian, right? Maturity as a Christian, you know, you can see when somebody is just saved and they're continually being sanctified by the Lord, Good morning, Dad, as they're being sanctified, you know, you give room. The Bible says that you make room for one another's faults because you realize that people are going to make mistakes. There are people that are going to do things that, you know, may offend you, that may get you angry, whatever that is. But the Bible says, as you're walking in love, make room for one another's faults. That's the New Living Translation. And the reason we do that is because we know that everyone in the body of Christ is not at the same level of maturity as everyone else in the body of Christ. Everybody's at different levels of faith, different levels of maturity, uh, and they're growing. People are growing in their knowledge of God. Well, as you, as you see people growing in their knowledge of God, well, what's going to happen? The thing that's going to take place is that if somebody's not yet uh, mature in the faith, If somebody's not yet been fully discipled, if somebody's not yet grown up uh, in their faith, what's going to happen? They're not going to be at the same level of moral virtue, excellence, as somebody who's been in the faith for a while that's allowed themselves to uh, conform to the image of God, to be consecrated, to be, um, you know, uh, as we would say, sanctified, a progressive sanctification as people are being Made or formed into the image of God. So you might look at a baby Christian that just got saved and think to yourself, well, why is he still doing that stuff? Or why, you know, and, and you understand God's working on people. God's working on people. God's working on people. So conviction is coming. People are learning. They're being discipled. They're growing in the faith. Not everybody's at the same level. And that's why the Bible says. Uh, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. If you've got a baby Christian that makes a mistake or that steps out of line or a fall, whatever it might be, you know, they just got saved. They just came into the body of Christ. They're just now receiving preaching and teaching. They're just now growing in the things of God. And so uh, there's a bit more leniency there for them that, you know, you don't you don't harshly judge, you know, as a spiritually spiritual leader, you're not going to harshly judge somebody that's just learning about the things of God. You know, somebody might come in, they don't know, they've lived their whole life in the world, they've lived their whole life in sin. They don't know. They don't even know what tithing is. They've never heard of tithing before. You know, they're they're learning. You come in, they've, you know, they didn't know they grew up, uh, they may have grown up in a household where certain things were acceptable, but you know, now that they're saved, they're learning that that stuff is no longer acceptable. Well, yes, you're going to be more lenient in the same way that you would be lenient on little children who have not learned about life yet. They're learning about life. They're learning what to do, what not to do, and all of that. And so you don't judge them as harshly as somebody that knows. Now, if you've got somebody in the church that's been in church for 20 years and has been to Church, they've been to all the classes, they've hear, heard preaching and teaching for the last two decades, and they're still doing the same stuff, then there's going to be a more harsh rebuke and correction because they know better. And they've had lots of teaching, and they've had lots of preaching, and lots of instruction. And the Bible says, To whom much is given, much is required. And so, in the case of somebody that has has had that afforded to them, there is harsher punishment. Or you know, even God will judge people more harshly when they know and they've had that maturity built up and they've been around it and they, they know what's, what's right and they still don't than somebody that's just now coming on board and they're re- learning the ropes. You see what I mean? So this, this, this second uh, element that we're talking about that the Apostle Peter is teaching here is virtue, moral excellence, moral virtue that to whom much is given, much is re- required. Add to your faith virtue, moral excellence. So what good does it do? You ever think that to yourself? What good does it do with somebody who has faith in Christ, but they don't have moral virtue or excellence? It, it really becomes a laughing stock to people who are watching you from afar. And it's, it's, really, it's, a, it's a terrible witness of your salvation to claim to have faith in Christ, to claim that you're part of the body of Christ and that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but then have no uh, uh, moral excellence in your life, have no moral virtue. People say, he, he doesn't live like a Christian. Even sinners know that. You know, Even sinners know that. Yeah, Mike put it in the comments, James 1.22, be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only. And that's exactly right. People are going to look at that and think, Well, he's not, he doesn't, he's not, he's not a Christian. He doesn't live like a Christian. He lives like me. He does all the same stuff I do. You know, still goes and gets drunk at the bar. Still, you know, foul mouth, all the same stuff. Oh, but he goes to church every Sunday. No, no. Peter said, uh, establish in yourself moral excellence, moral virtue. And as you're doing that, remember that he said it should continue to increase every single year. Which means you're even being more conformed to the image of Christ, not you're being uh, not, not, not conformed to the image of this world or the antichrist system, but to Christ by being transformed through the renewing of your mind. So as you do that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to become more like Christ every month, every week, every year. And it, and it takes that in order to have the kind of a witness and power that God's placed on you to change this earth, change the world. And so with your faith, that's number one. Your virtue or moral excellence, moral virtue, he said that should increase. That should increase. And then uh, number three, he said add to your virtue or supplement your virtue with knowledge. So number three is knowledge. And this is an important one as well. Knowledge. This should increase every single year, every single month, every single week. We're getting into the Word of God, which is why, you know, we provide this broadcast for you every single day of the week and sometimes more than once a day is because we know that people, the people of God need the knowledge of the Word of God. And so uh, Peter writes here, continue to increase in knowledge. Now, in order to do that, you're going to have to really dedicate yourself to the Word of God. You know, what's interesting is um, I was listening to a guy who, uh, he's a minister and he's the head of a, of a Bible school, I think in Zambia now, and he's um, and he very serious man. I've played one of his videos on here on that, the, the quote I read at the beginning of this broadcast about why, why I choose to believe the Bible is uh, his quote. It's his quote. His name is uh, Dr. Vadi Bakum. Um, not Pentecostal, not not uh, not um, you know charismatic by any means, but uh, obviously would have great theology on the inerrancy of Scripture. He made that comment, but one of the things that he said one time really shook me. He said, "You know what's really sad in churches is that any time a young person shows extreme interest in the Bible, in the Scriptures." we automatically push them like oh he must be called in the ministry she must be called in the ministry and by doing that and it's not always true it sometimes is true but it's not always true and what he, the point he was trying to make was why are we like that when we realize that every christian should have that kind of love and excitement for the scripture that if you're a child of god this is god's word to us that you shouldn't have to feel like, well, because I love the Bible, you know, I must, I must be in the, I must be called to fivefold ministry. Well, because I love the Scripture, I must be called to fivefold ministry. No, maybe you're just a Christian, and Christians should have a love for the Bible. They should have a love for Scripture. It's God's word to us. And 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 to be honest with you, though every Christian is not a fivefold ministry gift. You see, well, what does that mean? Every Christian is not an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher, right? Every Christian is not one of those five, but every Christian is called to ministry to this world because we're all ambassadors of Christ. We're all supposed to operate evangelistically in our lifestyles. We're all supposed to win people to Jesus. We're all supposed to minister Christ to the hurting, to the needy, no matter where we are, at work, at home, and the marketplace, we're called to be ministers to this world. Though we don't all stand in a pulpit to preach, we are called to minister. So there should be a love for the word. There should be a love for the knowledge of God. And, and we dive in, which is why you know, I always encourage you to, to de- develop some sort of uh, reading plan that you, know, you can stick to. Like this morning, you know, I keep this uh, on my phone. So that at any given day when I, when I wake up, I never have to think or wonder, I wonder what I should read in the Bible today. I wonder what my daily reading should be. And I don't use a one-year Bible. Uh, just to give you the, the, you know, I've told you this before, but I, as a standard plan, I just separated the New Testament into portions that I could read the New Testament every month. So... I made those separations and write that, I wrote that reading plan down and then I, just, I inserted it into the calendar app of my phone so that every day when I wake up, I can open that up and say, all right, I know that today, like for example, today was James chapter four through second Peter chapter one, where we're at right now. And I know that I don't have to think about it. I can pop my calendar open and say, oh, that's my reading for today. Boom. I can sit down and knock it out. And I don't, I take all those extra steps ahead of time. So nothing stands in my way to read the word of God and I can accomplish my goals. And and that's what I'm encouraging you to do. If your knowledge is going to go to another level, then you have to have a plan in place to put that knowledge into your spirit from the word of God, right? And so the key being, whatever you might do as a reading plan, be consistent with it, do it daily and get the word of God into your spirit. Uh, loyal Republicans said, I'm a truck driver, but I listen to my Bible on audio driving across the country. That's an excellent method too, because you've got a lot of time as a truck driver driving across America, you've got plenty of time to listen to the word of God uh, being read to you. Excellent, I used to do that when I drove everywhere, we'd pop it on and listen and I still do it. If I'm walking, for example, if I'm outside doing a walk for exercise or riding a bike or whatever, I'll throw those earbuds in and I'll start to listen uh, to either preaching or teaching or uh, an audio book or the Bible on audio. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're making the most of our time, like AJ's saying. So knowledge has to increase. It blows my mind. If we were to go over to, um, you know, the Apostle Paul to his, his last letter to, to Timothy. He says... Now, this is his last letter. He's like at the end of his life. Paul's at the end of his life. And he's giving them instructions. Listen to this. He said, uh, this is 2 Timothy 4.9. Do your best to come see me soon. For Demas, in love with this pres- for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. And when you come, listen to this, when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books and above all my parchments. So like he's getting ready to be executed. Paul's getting ready to be executed. And he's like, hey, don't forget to bring my library of books and bring my parchments, my notes. What's he doing? At the end of his life, Paul is still gaining knowledge. Paul is still building faith, building knowledge, even though he's getting ready to be executed, even though he's imprisoned in Rome. That was uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses like 9 through 12 or something. Go back and read uh, all three of those verses. You'll see. And it's like, you're about to die. You're about to be executed. You're a prisoner in Rome and you're telling people to bring you your books and your notes. And it's because Paul knew. Paul knew that... Uh, I got to keep increasing in knowledge. I got to keep increasing my faith. I'm not done, and I'm sure r- right up to the moment he was executed, he was ministering, in prison, in Rome, and he never stopped. That's powerful. And and if we go on further, it said, supplement your faith with virtue, and supplement your virtue with knowledge. Well, why, why are we so hardcore on knowledge? Because the Bible says, my people are destroyed, not because the devil's attacking, but because of a lack of knowledge. Get that in your spirit. People are being destroyed, not because the devil's attacking, but according to the Lord, because of a lack of knowledge. Knowledge is important. That's why Jesus said, in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free or the truth will make you free. But without that truth coming into me, I don't have the ability to walk in freedom. I'm missing out on my freedom because I'm missing out on my truth, my knowledge of the Word of God. And that's why I'm telling you, I pray, I'm like, Lord, I pray that you'd give me, give our partners, give our friends, give the tribe a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Let us know what is the hope of your glorious calling. And I go and pray those Ephesians prayers, you know. And, um, and I'm just telling you, knowledge is vital because that's what brings that next level of breakthrough. It brings that next level of, of, uh, of freedom and manifestation, the knowledge of the truth. It is the faith we gain from knowledge of God's word that manifests the power of God in our lives. That's why it's so vital. You can't operate with a revelation you don't have. Woo! Put that in the comments real quick. I can't operate with a revelation that I don't have. So important. I can't operate with a revelation I don't have. So I need a fresh revelation of God's word. I need to continually fill myself with the knowledge of the truth. That can only be found in God's word. Only. That's where truth is found. Let's go further. He said supplement your knowledge with self-control. So number four is self-control. Remember, these are the qualities that Peter said by the end. He said these are what will keep you uh, being effective and keep you in fruitfulness. So you'll be effective you'll be fruitful through these eight qualities that that Peter's listing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you start to realize that these, each one of them, as he said, have to continue to increase. So faith has to increase. Virtue has to increase. Knowledge increases. And self-control needs to increase. This is a huge, huge one. As you know, if you've heard me teach on this for any period of time, I believe with all my heart that of all the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is the most important of all of the fruit of the Spirit. Understanding that all of the fruit of the Spirit are choices, right? Walking in love is a choice. Walking in joy is a choice. Walking in peace is a choice. Being faithful is a choice. So how can you truly Make those choices successfully without self-control. Because remember what I taught yesterday, and I've I've taught this often. Galatians 5.17 tells us that the flesh is constantly battling against the spirit to keep you from doing what you really want to do. And the you there is your spirit man. To keep you, the spirit, from doing what you, the spirit, wants to do. And so the flesh is fighting, fighting. So what do you need? You need self-control. When people hear that and they're like, well, that's that self-help gospel. No, it's not. Because remember this, these are the fruit, not of the flesh. These are not the fruit of the flesh. It's the fruit of the spirit. And so the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. It's not the fruit of the flesh. Paul listed what the fruit of the flesh are, and it's not these. So that means that you need the help of the Holy Ghost in order to operate in the fruit of the Spirit because they're His fruit. So that the Holy Spirit is assisting me, empowering me, helping me to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And self-control, I believe, is the most important because it is that fruit that allows you to operate in all the other eight. And so here, uh, Peter is saying self-control has to increase in your life every single year, every month, as you move forward. And you see, you see that too because it's like self-control, uh, you can see people increase in self-control. You know when people are young, they have far less self-control uh, than they do as they grow older and they mature. You know, you see a little kid. Little kids will pound candy. They'll, pound, they'll, you know, they'll do all the things they're not supposed to do. That's because they don't know. They don't know anything. So their knowledge is at a low level. And because they don't know anything, and because they're immature, then their self-control is at a low level. Because they don't even understand why they should control themselves. Why, should, why shouldn't I eat 50 Snicker bars a day? I don't understand. What, I mean, I like Snicker bars. They taste good, they're sweet. I love everything about a Snicker bar. So why should I not eat 50 of them a day? And see, their self control is not there because their knowledge is not there, the maturity's not there. So they don't realize all of the things that would happen by living a life like that. But as your knowledge increases, as we just went over, as all these things continue to grow, then your self-control also increases because you start to realize what it means to walk in that kind of control, that kind of discipline, what it produces in the life of a believer that is self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit takes you to a whole nother level of victory. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it takes self-control to even yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and obey the commands of Scripture. So in this context, you know, your flesh doesn't want to do the things God wants God wants you to do. So, you know, there's there's people that, you know, they don't even do it because they're not self-controlled. They don't attend church faithfully. They don't give. They don't tithe. They don't spread the gospel. They don't, they don't pick up a Bible. They don't do any of those things because they're immature and they're, not, and they're ineffective and they're unfruitful. They don't have self-control. But when you do, it pushes past your flesh and does what it knows to do by the Spirit. That's why. Yeah, my flesh fights against me reading Scripture. Of course it would. It fights against me being faithful to church. It fights against me tithing and giving. It fights. Your flesh will fight. Fight against those things. Um, but notice this our spirit man is empowered to do them. You need to ask the question does the enemy fight our self control? Or is it our flesh, uh, cardinal ways, uh, carnal ways? Let me, let me say it this way the enemy provides temptation and in that way the enemy is trying to attack your self-control because the enemy wants you to fall into that temptation and not be self-controlled but that's why for example Jesus said to his disciples in uh, Matthew 26 read verses 40 and 41 uh, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. So the flesh wants to fall into into temptation. And that's the enemy's contribution to trying to destroy your self-control, temptation. But again, the carnal nature also fights against your self-control. Your flesh, as you said, fights against. Because remember, the flesh, It's not just the devil that's at war with the spirit. The flesh is at war with the spirit. And that's why Paul said, I've got to crucify my flesh. I've got to keep it under so that I know that I do what I should do and not what I feel like doing. So that at the end of my life, I don't become a castaway. The King James says, a reprobate or disqualified, another translation says. So self-control is a vital part of your life in Christ to increase and to be effective. Number five, we go further and it says, uh, supplement your self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness. I have have a prayer request in the comments. There's a man by the name of Pastor John Grimsley. He lacks self-control while playing the bass. Stretch your hands toward him and pray. Many of you have heard the results of this in live meetings and his fingers begin to just take control rather than his spirit. And he just, he's on a whole nother plane, on a whole nother level. So pray for Pastor John Grimsley. Steadfastness is number five. Steadfastness. (laughs) I love you, John. I'll tell you what's out of control is his barbecue. Big John's barbecue. That's what's out of control. And he, he, I'm just telling you, if you ever get by Bear Delaware, you need to hit up Big John's barbecue because it'll change your whole life. And you can throw self-control out for about three hours and just indulge in some of the best barbecue you've ever tasted. Um, <laughs> one day we need to do like a Victory Tribe, uh, you know, full care package that'll have cake pops in it. It'll have Big John's barbecue in it. You know, that, that kind of stuff. It'll be amazing. It'll, it'll, it'll change lives. Um, steadfastness is number five. <laughs> People are like, what's steadfastness? And I, I realize that the word might be kind of archaic to people, but think, to it, think of it like a stick to if you will. Uh, it's, it's like a vigilance or, or diligence, if you would. It's like, a, I, I refuse to quit. You know, it's that, that whole thing. I refuse to quit. And that's what steadfastness is. I'll be steadfast in my choices that what God has called me to do, I will never quit. Yeah, it's like grit, AJ. It's like a, a, a never quit mentality. That's, that's what Peter's talking about here. Keep that steadfastness alive. And not just alive, but as I said with every one of these qualities, make sure they are increasing every single month, year, whatever, as we move forward. I don't quit. I don't quit. I'm steadfast. Yeah, that's right, Jen. It's a stubbornness in the faith. It's a persistence. It's a perseverance. That's exactly right. Steadfastness. I'm sticking to it. I don't quit. The Victory Tribe does not quit. You know, a uh, Pastor Hagen, not Brother Hagen, but his son, Kenneth Hagen Jr., uh, used to say this all the time. He'd say, I cannot be defeated, and I will not quit. And I want you to put that in the comments section. I will not be defeated... I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit in Jesus' name. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. And that's what we declare. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. Because that's really, that's the truthfully, uh, uh, the, the mindset of the believer is that who's if God's for you, who can be against you? If God's on your side, who's going to stop you? What demon can stop you? What devil can 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 crush what God's called you to do? If God's for you, He's fighting your battles, and and you cannot be defeated. And so remember this now. Um, if you can't be defeated, then the only thing that can defeat you is quitting. Quitting before you see your promise come to pass. When I used to play basketball in our church league in Virginia, there was a man from our church who's, who had been in the Navy, good basketball player. His name's Greg Culbreth. And Brother Greg, you know, not only uh, a great ball player, but really determined. And uh, Greg used to always say to the team, he'd always say to us, nobody can beat us. Only we can beat us. He'd say that all the time. Nobody can beat us. Only we can beat us. And uh, that, that stuck with me. Nobody can beat us. Only we can beat us. You, you start to quit. You start to let go. You say, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do it. I can't. And, and That's what the devil wants. He wants you to gain a mindset, well, I can't do this. this is, I, I'm not, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the resources. I don't have the education. I don't have the connections. And, and that's a lie from the devil. Because if you can't be defeated, then the only thing that will defeat you is your choice to quit. And that's why Peter said, steadfast. We are steadfast. I don't quit. I keep pushing forward. (laughs) I'll be so persistent, like whatever's in front of me, it'll wear out before I wear out. Think about that. It will wear out before I wear out because I don't quit. I keep hitting, I keep moving forward, I keep going and I won't stop. I won't stop. It will wear out before I wear out. Its batteries will die before my batteries will die. And so you keep moving forward, you're steadfast. And that's why when God's given you a vision, when God has given you a calling, you don't ever make the choice to quit. As Winston Churchill once famously said in a, in a speech that really blew people's minds, Never, never, never quit. Never, never, never quit. And that's key because you can't lose. You can't be defeated. If you're obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit, don't ever quit. Keep moving in the direction he's called you to move. Keep pressing, keep pushing, and believe God. It's coming to pass in Jesus' name. It's coming to pass. And you should be getting more like that every year. Maybe there were times in the past where you threw in the towel and you quit. Those days are over. And now, as you move forward, you're not going to quit. You're, not going, you're staying steadfast on the path God called. Even if people walk away. Even if people say, well, you're, you're crazy. I don't care what they say. I'm moving forward in what God called me to do. I don't quit. I don't quit in Jesus' name. And that's going to be our story. But notice as we go further, it says this. And supplement your steadfastness with godliness. Now we've covered moral virtue, moral high ground, but now it says, supplement your steadfastness with what? Godliness. Number six is godliness. Now, what is godliness? Godliness is simply obedience to the commands of Scripture. To Kingdom details. I always observe kingdom details. It is me obeying the systems that God has set up in the earth. Godliness is doing what God told me to do. It's obedience to the word. It's exactly what it is. And my godliness should increase every year. I should become more godly, not less godly. (laughs) The world is becoming less godly, as you can see. You know, there actually used to be a time in society where people just went to church because you go to church. Even if they weren't professing Christians, they went to church because, you know, their family's always gone to church, and, you know, you'd see people in Baptist churches around this country out on the steps of the church smoking a cigarette before the church started to get inside. You know, they weren't living for God fully. You know, they were going and doing their own thing, but you went to church. You went to Sunday school. You know that was something that used to be standard in America. You went to church, you went to Sunday school, and when people were, were were God fearing people, you know they weren't secularized yet. They they hadn't, uh, you know, been dipped into the. You you see what I mean? Many of you that are watching, you could even remember a day when you were younger, when America was different, and there was there was something different about uh, the nation in that there were still presidents that would call us to pray. And you know, it just, it was different. And the, the falling away had not begun in, that, in the way that we're seeing now. And the same stuff that's going on. So the fear of God that's left society. I'm not becoming less godly, I'm becoming more godly. Becoming more godly, pressing into the word, obeying the word, living for God in a way that is not, ash- I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not hiding it. I'm not trying not to offend people. If they're offended, let them be offended. If they're angry, let them be angry. It won't change what I do. I'm a godly person. Godly people define marriage as being between a man and a woman, period. Godly people define abortion as sin, period. See what I mean? And so, yeah, well, that's not in our society. Those things are not, those are frowned upon. You're not politically correct. Tough. I don't want to be politically correct. I want to be godly. I want to be godly. So godliness is something that needs to be supplemented. We supplement our steadfastness with godliness. And we make up in our mind, I don't care what the world is saying. I only obey what the word said. That's it. So godliness. Godliness is simply us obeying the mighty word of God. There's, to, to be very honest with you, you know, because there's, there's no other way to do this, and I think an easy way for us to understand it is, Yes, I could, you could say that, Yaneel. You could say holiness, you could not put that there. Because holiness is being set apart, consecrated from this world and its system. But the only way to do that, did you ever think about this? If we never had a standard, um, uh, which is God's word, by the way. If this did not set the standard, then every other thing in life is relative. You know, let me just take a, just a small rabbit trail here because it's something we're seeing in our society today everywhere is this, this postmodern thought process, postmodernism. And one of the things that postmodernism says is that truth is relative. So what does that mean? And maybe you've heard somebody use the term, well, that's your truth, but my truth is different than your truth. Maybe you've heard that in conversation. And there are people that are secularists, that are atheists, agnostics, people that they they really feel like Christianity or religion, period, is foolishness. And you may have heard somebody say, well, we don't need religion in order to be good people to each other. You may have heard that argument before. I don't need a thousands of years old book to tell me to love my neighbor. I can just be good to people. I can just be a decent human being. I don't need an invisible God telling me how to live my life." And then they go further and say, well, you know, your truth might be Christianity, but that's not my truth. My truth is different. And you know, you might think that's wrong, but for me, it's right. You know, this is how I live. It's right. And, and then here's the, here's the kicker. Here's the big one. Well, why does anyone care what I do as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. If you've heard that, throw a hand up in the comments. Why would anyone care what I do as long as I'm not hurting anyone else? Well, listen to how this, listen to how this thought process plays out because of course you could say that. Why would anyone care what I do as long as I'm not hurting anyone else? Okay, but here's the real question. If you really think like that, if all truth is relative, if there is no objective moral standard, then here's a real question. You say, what's wrong with me doing what I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else? Okay, well, what's wrong with hurting someone else? If that's really the way you think, then why why is it wrong to hurt others? Did you ever think about that? Who said it's wrong to hurt others? If it makes me happy, if it, makes, if it gets me what I want and makes my, my life happy, if it's my truth, why is hurting others wrong? Who said it's wrong? That's the question. Are you telling me that I'm supposed to see, because here's their contradiction that they don't get in their mind. They're assuming that we're all under some default uh, uh, integrity that we should all recognize that hurting others is wrong. That's their thought process. Okay, well, who said that? Where is that found? Who decided that hurting other people is wrong? Why is murder wrong? If murder makes me happy, then why is it wrong? Even if I am hurting other people, who said murdering and hurting other people is bad to do? It's my truth. It's my truth. Why, why, why is molestation or rape or genocide or uh, you know, eugenics, why are any of these things wrong? Who said they're wrong? But do you, know what, do you want to know something that's crazy? I heard, uh, I heard Dr. Summerall say this. He said even, and he traveled the world, and I mean into, into places no one had been. No one had been. And he said this, and Dr. Osborne has said this, T.L. Osborne, that wherever you go in the world, think about this. Get this in your spirit. Wherever you go in the world, even to tribes, that have never had outside connection with other people, back in the jungles of different nations, people that have never come out of their culture, in every single civilization, every single civilization, murdering other people is viewed as wrong in every civilization, with no one to tell them. No one even got back there with Christianity yet. No one got there with the Bible yet. And in every single civilization murdering someone is wrong. Can I tell you another one that they talked about that blew my mind? In every single civilization, taking someone's wife away from them is wrong and punishable in that civilization. But no one had given them the Bible yet. Nobody's given them the gospel yet. It's just inherently known in their, the Bible says uh, that God's laws are written on the hearts of men. People know they can't deny there's a God, they can see it in his creation. But something internally built into the human caused these these things wrong. I'll tell you one more that's mind-blowing. Dr. Summerall, Dr. Osborne said, even in these places where they went back and tribes of people, it was their custom to just always be nude. They didn't wear clothes in their their tribes. They didn't wear clothes back in their societies. They just walk around naked. They found this to be amazing. That when people in those tribes got saved, as they went back to minister to them, when they came back to the service the next night, they were fully clothed. How crazy is that? That in, they internally knew. No, nope, they didn't teach on, you don't need to be nude. You need to have some decency. They didn't teach on it. They said they didn't teach on it. They said, but after they got saved, when they'd come back to church the next night, they came back fully clothed. They knew in their spirit something was wrong about walking around naked. Amazing. Why? Because God has given us an objective standard truth in his word that we are to hold to. Right? We hold to that. It defines what's right and wrong for us. And that's all godliness is. It is obeying the written word of the almighty God. That's what makes a person godly. Supplement your godliness with brotherly affection. So I want to I deal with these two things that are la- remaining, seven and eight. Brotherly affection or brotherly love and love. Brotherly affection and love. Okay? That's seven and eight. Seven is brotherly affection. Eight is love. But I want to deal with them separately because it might seem like they're close to the same thing, but they're different things. They're different things. And um, when, you, when you look into, and many of you may know this, when you, when you go into the Greek language, there, is, um, there are multiple Greek words that can be translated love, right? Uh, eros is one of those. That's like erotic love. Then you have phileo, which is like, Brotherly affection, which is the word we see here for number seven. Phileo is like uh, where we get the word for the city, Philadelphia. And that word Philadelphia uh, is found in the Bible. It means brotherly love. Philadelphia uh, means brotherly love, brotherly affection. So phileo is, is one of the words for love. Um, the other, the, another one that we have, agape. That's the one that everybody pretty much knows. Agape, that is the God kind of love. That is eternal love. That is the unwavering spiritual love of God. Uh, and there are others. But so, so understand that we're dealing with two different words for love in this same passage. Supplement your godliness with brotherly affection. Supplement your godliness with phileo or ph- uh, Philadelphia. Or in this case, uh, it becomes, a, um, I think it's, it's here a direct object, so Philadelphion. What does that mean? It's it's a difference between just loving somebody unconditionally and having an affection for people, having an affection for people. So one of the things that our flesh does is want to say, you know, and and of course, you're not going to like everybody the same. Right. I I get that. You're not going to like everybody the same. Not everybody is your cup of tea. I get that. You don't want to hang with everybody because they're, they're just their personality is, is, is not the same. But remember this. Agape, which is number eight, godly love, that's a love that is functional in the believer, no matter who the person is. It, it might be the most vile uh, atheist, it might be the worst sinner. It might be somebody that's wronged you a hundred times a hundred in the same day. It doesn't matter. That agape love is a spiritual, eternal love that allows me to unconditionally love a person no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing. Doesn't matter how sinful you are, how vile you are, how wicked you are. The love I have for the people that God has created is eternal. It's, It's selfless. It's unconditional. There are, there's nothing you could do that would stop me as a Christian from loving you with the love of God. There's nothing that's going to shut my love off for the people of this world. I'm not going to say, well, he's a murderer. I'm not going to preach the gospel to him. I hope he dies and goes to hell. You know, he's a molester. He's a rapist. He's, a, he's whatever. He's a mass murderer. You know, he's, he's this or that. I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to pray for you Look You look at the way that Jonah's heart was. You want me to go to Nineveh in Syria, the the place where they fillet God's people, literally flay their skin off? You, 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 You want me to go to a place where they torture God's people? You want me to preach to them and tell them to repent so they can be spared? I ain't going. This was Jonah's problem. He was basing whether or not he would give God's message to people based on what they'd done in the past. They're wicked. They're filthy, they're vile. I'm not going there warning them to turn their lives around so that you'll spare them from judgment. Judge them, Lord. Destroy them, Lord. Wipe them off of the face of the map, Lord. That's what you should do. And God said, no, I want you to go and give them my word. I want you to preach and tell them to repent and turn from their wicked ways. And Jonah's like, I ain't going. I'm getting on a boat and going the opposite direction of Nineveh. <laughs> and God so wanted his word to be preached He had Jonah swallowed by a fish and spit out on the shores of Nineveh. Speak my word to my people. Yeah, but they're wicked. Speak it anyway. Let them hear it. Give them an opportunity. Right? That's agape. I love these people. I don't care how wicked they are. But then there's there's something different than that. There is brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. There's a love you have for the people of God. Uh, the people of God. I want to I just quickly point something out to you um, that, we can, that we can see in the Word. Uh, the Lord, Jesus Christ, is having a conversation with Peter. Go with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21. John 21. And I'm going to read you three verses. Really interesting passage here, by the way. Very interesting passage. John 21 and verse 15 through 17. Listen to how Jesus flips the script on Peter right here. Verse 15 says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? You know what he just said there? If you look in the Greek text, Do you agape me more than these? Oh, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Says the same thing again, twice in a row. Do you agape me? Do you love me? Oh, he said, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. But then look at this. He flips it on Peter in this last part. Verse 17 at the end, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you phileo me? Peter didn't get grieved until Jesus flipped it, agape, agape, phileo, do you have affection for me? Do you love me truly? Me. He said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Notice that. He flipped it on him. He said, Do you have spiritual love? Do you have spiritual love? But do you have affection for me, Peter? Yes. You know all things and you know that I do. See, there's a difference between unconditional love and there's a difference between brotherly affection. I don't just unconditionally love you, I have an affection, I have a care for you. And those of us as believers, you know, that's one of the things that made me so happy. When we had the Victory Tribe homecoming weekend, I'm telling you, walking in there and seeing people, even in the lobby of the hotel, people at the lobby at the church, people in the sanctuary, people in the gym as we were eating, people at the banquet, the love, the affection that people had for one another in the Victory Tribe was so moving to me to see. People like, man, I get to finally meet you in real life. I see your name in the comments. and Oh, and with, they hung with each other. You guys sat with each other and talked to each other and exchanged numbers and got to know each other. And there was a brotherly affection, a phileo in that moment that that moved me to under, because that's how the body of Christ should be. The thing that bothers me is when I see divisions in the church and I see people that are being fractured and people that are being torn away from each other and people that are uh, in in, in different uh, feuds and there's fights and divisions and problems. That is the devil. That is the devil. We are called to love one another, called to love one another. And I was looking here at Galatians chapter, chapter six, real quick, and, um, Listen to this. This is a really amazing thing, talking about brotherly affection, and I'm talking about loving those that are in the body of Christ. Have a love for those that are in the body of Christ. Stop trying to tear people up and try to tear people down. Have a love for people that are in the body of Christ. Listen, Um, Galatians 6, 6, I'll read through verse 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches the word. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us, now look at this now. Please get these last two verses deep in your spirit. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What is that steadfastness again? Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but look at this, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Get that. Paul's writing here to the Galatians, we should do extra good. We should step out and be an extra blessing. Don't grow weary in well doing. Keep being good. Keep growing and keep doing good things for who, especially for those in the household of faith, people that are in the body of Christ. You know, you know, it's an interesting thing to me. When the church was launched, when the church was launched in the Book of Acts, Acts chapter two, the Bible says, and there was no one in the church, not one person who had needs, not anybody. They were a needless church. They had no needs, everything abundantly provided for. And do you know what they, the Bible says they did? In fact, flip over there. I'll finish with this and we'll pray. Acts chapter two, look at this. The people had such a love for each other, such a love. We're talking about brotherly affection, phileo. Philadelphia, they had such a love for each other that the Bible says, this is Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any, as any had need. So look at this, they would say, as soon as the other believers were made aware, oh, you got somebody in your community that's deeply in need. You've got somebody in your community that's deeply in need. Uh, They say, oh, no problem, I've got some extra things over here, I'll sell this investment, I'll sell this property, or whatever, my possession, and I'm gonna go ahead and meet that need. I'm gonna go ahead and meet that need. And um, I want you to think about this because that means truly, that was, that, that was the, the way the body of Christ operated. And I don't mean people coming into church to try to get a handout and try to use it like spiritual welfare to be a bum and to live, they don't work, they're on, you know, they just collect unemployment and sit around because they're, they're lazy. I'm not talking about that. But as tr- people that truly had needs. Did you know that's why there were uh, parameters in the New Testament for what a widow was? They weren't just taking care of any woman whose husband had died. They actually had an age limit and they had parameters. You had to be somebody that had been faithful to the church, somebody that was a a godly person, somebody that was praying for others, somebody that was actually living for the Lord, and you had to be a certain age. But if you were younger, they wanted you to go ahead and get married again and work and do all the, whatever. But... There were parameters so that they didn't take advantage of the church's blessing. But notice the same here. Uh, They all did these things for those that were actually in the community of faith. I mean, think about that. If you've got faithful people in your church that are still learning about blessing, that are still learning about increase, they shouldn't have to go to the government. Think about this for a second. They shouldn't have to go to the government to get their light bill paid. They're struggling, they've had something happen or they, they lost their job, they're, they're, they're just not, they're trying to make it. They shouldn't have to go to the government. People in the church body should be able to meet that need. Oh, you got a light bill due? No problem, let me hook you up. Let me pay that for you. That's what they were doing in the early church. And if they had possessions, they sold them, took the money, gave it to those that need. And I don't mean somebody that comes once every two months and sneaks in the back, and sits in the back, you know, in a Carhartt jacket, you know, to, to, so they, you know, i got a need today. No. I'm talking about somebody that are faithful to the church. Faithful to the church. People that are part of the body, that are, you know, pressing in on their family. You understand? And I'm just telling you, that's how the early church operated. And I don't mean that the church should have to pay for everything. Look what they did. It was the believers that when a believer saw another believer, you're in need? I've got extra. Let me help you. You Throw everything on the church itself. No. Let you as a believer stand up and be a blessing in your generation, showing brotherly affection to those that are in need. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm just telling you, these now now look what happens, and I'll, I'll pray after I read this. The Bible says after all these things are in your life and increasing in your life, what happens? You're securing and confirming your calling, your election, making sure you'll never fall away. You'll never fall away. And that you'll have an entrance into the glory of heaven. And so you write these eight things down. If you haven't written them down, write them down. Faith, moral virtue, knowledge. Self-control, steadfastness, meaning I won't quit, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, unconditional love. That's the key. That is the key. And so, we need to press in. Why? This is our year of divine possession. This is the year where we're going to take what God said is ours, and we're going to supernaturally have ownership and possession. This is a year that stuff's going to happen like we've never seen happen ever before, ever. It's going to be supernatural. You wait and see what God does in 2022 for the faithful. It's going to blow our minds. But again, I gave you this, this word from the Lord that came to me. If it's going to be that kind of a year where we're going to see God move in that kind of a way, it's going to be a year where we got to press in like never before. We can't live the same way we've always lived and expect greater results. We press in at a deeper level. We press in at a deeper level and then watch what God does supernaturally. Hallelujah. It's gonna be a year to shout. It's gonna be a year to dance and run when you see what God's getting ready to do for you and your family by the power of the Holy Ghost. Get ready. Get ready. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your precious people. I thank you, Lord, for adding to the body of Christ daily. I thank you that people are being saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. I thank you that people are being healed. I thank you this is a year that the church is being built like never before. Your word declares, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so Lord, I declare it in Jesus' name. This is a year that the church is increasing to another level in Jesus' name. Now Lord, I pray That these things, you would give us strength and ability and efficiency to see all of these eight things increase in our lives in 2022. We'll not fall backwards. We'll not miss out on the blessing. We will not miss out on our calling. We'll not miss out on our purpose and we'll never fall away in Jesus' name. We will not be like those who draw back. We'll not be like those who fall away. Our hearts are not growing cold. We're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. In Jesus' wonderful name. We thank you for that. We give you praise for that. And if you believe it, somebody shout aloud, amen. Give God thanks. Give God praise. There's some hands up, some fire up in the comments section. Hallelujah. Things are getting better quickly. Quickly. And it's happening even around this nation. It's happening quickly. Things are changing. They're going to change in Canada. They've changed in, the, in, in England. I'm praying they change in the UK. Ireland followed suit. Things are changing around the world. Got a praying church. God's healing the land by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. By dominion and authority in the anointing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can't wait to see you, Anna. Next Friday, Phoenix City, Alabama. Coming to Georgia, I'm guessing. Praise God. Praise God. I'm challenging you today. Take a minute. Sow a seed. If you've not done so yet, if you haven't partnered with us This month is a good month to start. It's a new year. We have partners being added every week. So I want to encourage you, if you've not partnered, take a step of faith and and do that. Partner with us today. If you don't know what it's all about, go to the website, miracleword.com. Go click on the partner page and read what we're doing for the kingdom, all that's taking place. And uh, I'm telling you, this is a year to attach your finances with the kingdom of God because time's running out, and there's work to be done. And God has a blessing that he wants to take you to. It's a different level, but it doesn't come from always doing what you've always done. It comes by your faithfulness to sow in God's kingdom. All the ways on the screen. Hang on. Just got back from Wuhan. and uh, (laughs) You can go to miracleword.com, all the digital ways. If you had uh, headphones on, Tiffany. I'm sorry you heard that sneeze. Um, (laughs) You can use hashtag donate if you're on Twitter or Facebook and uh, all the digital ways to give are on the website. I want to say a big thank you to all of our, all of our friends, all of our partners, all those that are sewing and standing with us, man, this is going to be our best year ever. You just wait and see what God's about to do. It's so supernatural. And, uh, and so thank you for sowing. Thank you for standing with us financially and in prayer. Uh, I, I, I can't say thank you enough and tell you how much that we love you. <laughs> Ava said, rip headphone users. <laughs> yep, my earphones caught air on that one. Um. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Well, for the month of January, we want to send you Lester Summerall's book, Adventuring with Christ. It's our gift for those that are standing with us at $85 or more this month. And on top of that, if you're selling $250 or more, we want to include How We Got the Bible by Dr. Lightfoot. Excellent book. Excellent book. And then, of course, if you're standing at $1,000, we're including this next study Bible with uh, translator's notes. 60,000 notes on scripture. Uh, I used it. Uh, Today, as I was studying the Word of God, there's so much information packed into that study Bible, stuff you'd never know unless you read what these translators had to say about the the Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic texts and scriptural notes and everything, just amazing. It's our gift to you uh, for this month of January. We say, thank you for standing with us. Thank you for sowing your seed. We love you a lot, very, very much. And um, so don't forget today, two o'clock, airing a broadcast. Uh, Carolyn will be live and then of course she'll be back Friday in the studio live with you and uh, it's going to be a great week man and then don't miss Revival in Georgia it starts on Sunday if you can get there get there man once again we love you happy birthday to Tiffany Farley she's 29 today it's a wonderful thing I'll see you again in the morning have a powerful and a wonderful day we'll talk you later